The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. As we prepare to hear the scriptures, let us pray. Living God, speak a word that showers like rain, making the earth grow and blossom. Living Christ, speak a word that sprouts like seeds, giving bread to the hungry. Living Spirit, speak your word within us, fulfilling your purpose for all creation. Amen. A reading from the prophet Jonah. Listen for God's word to us. God saw what the people of Nineveh were doing that they had ceased their evil behavior. So God relented, not inflicting on them the, the disaster that threatened them. But Jonah thought this was utterly wrong, and he became angry. Jonah prayed to the Eternal One, come on, God, wasn't this precisely my point when I was back in my own land? This is why I fled to Tarshish earlier. I know that you are a merciful and compassionate God, very patient, full of faithful love, and willing not to destroy. At this point, Eternal One, you may as well take my life from me, because it would be better for me to die than to live. The Eternal One responded, is your anger a good thing? But Jonah went out from the city and sat down east of the city. There he made himself a hut and sat under it in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the eternal God provided a, sh a shrub and it grew up over Jonah, providing shade for his head and saving him from his misery. Jonah was very happy about that shrub. But God provided a worm the next day at dawn and the worm attacked the shrub so that it died. Then as the sun rose, God provided a dry east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. He begged that he might die, saying, it's better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, is your anger about the shrub a good thing? Jonah said, yes, my anger is good, even to the point of death. But the Eternal One said, you pitied the shrub for which you didn't work and which you didn't raise. It grew in a night and perished in a night. Yet for my part, can't I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Gospel of Matthew. Listen, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After he agreed with the workers to pay them a denarian, he sent them into his vineyard. Then he went out again around nine in the morning and saw others standing around the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And they went. Again around noon, and then at three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. Around five in the afternoon, he went and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why are you just standing around here, doing nothing all day long? Because nobody has hired us, they replied. He responded, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the workers and give them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, and moving on finally to the first. When those who were hired at five in the afternoon came, each one received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarian. They received it, they grumbled against the landowner. These who were hired last worked one hour, and they received the same pay as we did even though we had to work the whole day in the hot sun. But the landowner replied to one of them, Friend, I did you no wrong. Didn't I agree to pay you a denarian? Take what belongs to you and go. I want to give to this one who was hired last the same as I give to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful that because I am generous? Those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Back in March, when most households were settling into quarantine, a colleague shared this update. The three-year-old in our house just had a four-minute meltdown because he misses Christmas. That seems pretty on brand for three-year-olds. Here are some other delightful reasons 
this precious child has burst into tears. He couldn't bring his lamp into bed with him. His mother put toothpaste on his toothbrush. His mother told him he couldn't have cake because it was bedtime. And also, there was no cake in the house. And most recently, he burst into tears because his parents made him wear a rain jacket in a thunderstorm. Ah! Again, all pretty typical for toddlers. The prophet Jonah, meanwhile, is having a larger-than-life meltdown. Come on, God! Why won't you smite the city of Nineveh? Ugh, I knew you'd be merciful. I'd be better off dead. This is the same Jonah who heard God's call to preach to Nineveh and fled the other direction. This is the very same prophet who thought he would drown but instead was swallowed by a whale sent by God. Now, after he relented to the call, after the whale coughed him up on the Assyrian shores, after he preached doom to that great city, just 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. He's mad because people actually listened to him and repented. He is enraged that God heard their prayers and spared them. No fair. Our prophet has become a little unhinged. After railing at the Eternal One, what does he do? He builds a hut, sits down, and stares at the city with anticipation. Hello? Jonah? What are you doing over there? I don't think Jonah is waiting for God to have a second change of heart and rain fire down from the sky. No. Instead, I bet he's fantasizing daydreaming about God going nuclear on Nineveh. He is so fixated on that imagined carnage, he doesn't even notice a shrub grow up beside him. He's so insulated in ironclad resentment that he doesn't even hear the Eternal One asking in a concerned voice, is your anger a good thing? Three-year-olds go to pieces, and we laugh on social media, maybe feeling a little bad for their parents. Adults go to pieces, and we stop laughing pretty quickly. Those pieces are a lot harder to put back together.
Maybe you've had that experience recently yourself. Maybe it was a small thing. Your beloved left their wet towel on the bathroom floor again. Or maybe the huge, overwhelming stress of managing life during a global pandemic just got to you. Especially since so many of us feel powerless while others call the shots. Whenever this happens to me, my body increases the flow of adrenaline. My heart starts pounding harder. Boom, boom, boom. My vision, my field of vision grows narrower. And as my anger builds hotter and hotter, the movie reels in my mind. We turn faster and faster. All of a sudden, I'm like Jonah, fantasizing, fixating, practically foaming at the mouth. I'm so riled up in wrath that I don't hear the still, small voice at first. The holy reality check asking, Is your anger a good thing? Is your obsession healthy? Is giving this episode all your energy worth it? Jonah is not alone in fantasy and fixation. And neither are we. Jesus' first disciples also expressed a fair bit of that. Right before the parable, Jesus tells us about a vineyard owner and his employees. Peter and the other disciples were buzzing with anxiety. Jesus had just counseled a wealthy man to sell his possessions and give money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Typical Jesus. After this encounter, Peter had a miniature meltdown. I imagine him stomping his foot and speaking with a tremor in his voice. Look, we've left everything and followed you. What will we have? It would be tempting to say, Peter, treasure in heaven, pay attention. But instead, Jesus assures the jittery disciples when everything is made new, when the human one sits on his magnificent throne, you also will sit on twelve thrones overseeing the twelve tribes of Israel. And all who have left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, or farms, because of my name, will receive one hundred times more, will inherit eternal life. Wow, that 
sounds like a pretty good deal. Then Jesus tells this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who pays his employees the same wage, regardless of how long they work. So those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. Yes, you'll get a throne, but look under your chairs. You've got a throne, and you've got a throne, and you've got a throne. Such is the way of the holy reality check, saying, don't Fixate on the future. Don't lock yourself up in resentment. Come back to the present moment. Back to the only moment when you can be faithful. Anger and resentment have a narrowing effect on us, constricting our veins, giving us tunnel vision. But God's abundant grace has a widening effect. Grace says, breathe in deeply. Grace encourages, mm -hmm. look around, see the bigger picture. Grace is wide enough to include both Nineveh and Jerusalem. Both the 6 a.m. shift and the 5 p.m. shift. Both you and that person who pushes your buttons. This reminds me of a short story by Flannery O'Connor, whose style has been called Southern Gothic, a devout Roman Catholic O'Connor said, all my stories are about the action of grace on a character who is not very willing to support it. But most think of these stories as hard, hopeless, brutal. So often grace arrives on the scene as a holy reality check. Not all of O'Connor's characters take kindly to reality. For example, there's Mrs. Ruby Turpin, the central figure in the short story Revelation. Like Flannery O'Connor, Mrs. Turpin is a white woman living in Georgia in 1964. She's a productive member of society, a servant in her church a devoted wife. She also thanks Jesus daily that she's not white trash or, God help her, African-American. Judging people at every turn, Mrs. T is knocked out by a judgment aimed at her. Go back to hell where you came from, you old warthog. <gasps> Those words keep turning and churning 
in Mrs. Turpin's mind. She cannot shrug them off, even though she insists, I am not a warthog. There's a nagging suspicion in her gut that it might be true that the young woman who verbally assaulted her might have spoken the word of the Lord. During the evening chores, washing the hogs no less, she takes up her complaint with God. How am I a hog, she demanded. Exactly how am I like them? And she jabbed the stream of water at the shoats. There was plenty of trash there. It didn't have to be me. If you like trash better, go get yourself some trash then, she said. She railed, you could have made me trash or black. If trash is what you wanted, why didn't you make me trash? And in the middle of her ranting, a revelation. A streak of light, like a vast swinging bridge extending upward from the earth to a field of living fire. Upon it, a vast horde of souls were tumbling toward heaven. There were whole companies of white trash, clean for the first time in their lives, and bands of black folks in white robes, and battalions of freaks and lunatics shouting and clapping and leaping like frogs. And bringing up the end of the procession was a tribe of people whom she recognized at once as those who, like herself and Claude, had always had a little of everything and the given wit to use it right. She leaned forward to observe them closer. They were marching behind the others with great dignity, accountable as they always had been for good order and common sense and respectable behavior. They alone were singing on key. Yet she could see by their shocked and altered faces, even their virtues were being burned away. In the woods around her, the invisible cricket choruses had struck up. But what she heard were the voices of the souls climbing upward into the starry field and shouting, Hallelujah! Friends, God's mercy towards others will only bother us if we insist on living in a fantasy world of resentment. God's promise that the last will be first will only bother us if we insist on residing in an imagined future. We do not need to succumb to such scarcity thinking, because God's abundant grace embraces us with arms wide open. The holy reality check of grace 
brings us back to the present, back to the reality that the Eternal One is on a mission to transform the world and has invited us to take part. We are buoyed, buoyed and lifted up by divine grace. We can accept, release from resentment and rejoicing. Oh, for such grace, let us give all glory and gratitude to God, generous giver, gracious gift, glimpsed in our acts of sharing. Amen. <laughs>